Uh, I was really, I don't know about you, really moved by the, the truths that we sung this morning about Jesus Christ's blood doing it all for us. He loves us so much, and I really hope that through our sermon today, some, just by looking at this text, I'll be able to capture some of that. Because he loves us. And that's why God sent his son to die for us. He loves us dearly. And if we could all leave here today knowing that in, in, in the deepest core of our souls, that would bring him glory for sure. So today we're going to be looking at uh, John uh, chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 7 to 10. This is where Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. But before we look at that today, um, I want us to turn to Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. I can, if you have your Bibles, turn to it, but I'm going to read it out. This is when God speaks to Moses through the burning bush. He speaks to Moses and he says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard them crying out. They've been enslaved for 400 years to the Egyptians and they've cried out for freedom and I have heard their cry. And so I'm going to send you to set them free. And Moses says to God, he says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Moses says to God, if, if they ask me your name, what shall I say? God says, I am who I am, or I am that I am. I simply am. I am the uncreated one. I'm the everlasting one. I'm the eternal one. I'm the supreme one, the creator and sustainer of all things. I am the one true God. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of your salvation. I am that I am. In John's Gospel, uh, he records Jesus saying seven I am statements. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, I am the true vine. Jesus is said to be echoing the words of God as he spoke to Moses in the burning bush. I love this idea of God speaking through the burning bush and it echoing a thousand years later through the mouth of Jesus. I am, I am, I am. Seven times Jesus says, I am. And some numbers in the Bible are significant. The number seven is one of them. Uh, seven, it means wholeness. It means completion. It means perfection. And so it's no coincidence, right, that Jesus 
says, I am seven times, he's claiming to be God. He identifies as the great I am, the sovereign God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of their salvation. Jesus is saying, I am he. And so you might hear people of other religions say, well, Jesus didn't say I'm God. There are many of you that will be acquainted with that argument. Didn't say, what? Have you read the Gospels? But you don't see because you're blind. And ultimately, when we strip back, right, what's going on in, in John chapter 9, the story of the man who was born blind that Jesus healed, and he has this back and forth with the Pharisees. When we strip it back, right, this is what it comes down to. Who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? It can be said that all of Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees are based around this question. Who is Jesus? And we saw, didn't we, throughout chapter 9, Jesus heals this man who was born blind. He opens his eyes physically, but we also see his eyes opening, his vision becoming clearer and clearer throughout chapter 9 of who Jesus really is. First, Jesus is a man of God. Second, he says he's a prophet. And then finally, the man who was born blind worships Jesus. His eyes slowly being opened more and more to who Jesus really is, the great I am. But the Pharisees, in contrast, born with physical sight, blind as bats. Blind as bats, couldn't see who Jesus was. And they say at the end of chapter 9, don't they? They say, are we also blind? Jesus said, well, you claim to see, so you're guilty. And we looked at this last week. I'm, I'm not going to repeat it, but uh, chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, he puts this picture before the Pharisees. It's this picture of a sheepfold. A shepherd and some sheep and some thieves and a gatekeeper. He puts this before them. He says, okay, you claim to see. You claim to be the Pharisees. You claim to be the ones who know God better than anyone in Israel. You are the gatekeepers of heaven. You're the shepherds of Israel. You claim to see. Here's a picture. Do you understand it? And in verse 6 of chapter 10, it says that they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And so that's when we get to our, our passage today, verse 7. You didn't understand it, fine. I'll fill in the blanks for you. And so we come to John chapter 10, verse 7. I'm going to read it out. So Jesus again said to them, the Pharisees, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We're going to split this passage up today into three sections. We're going to have an introduction where Jesus introduces himself as the door. Then we're going to have an invitation. Jesus says, come to me and you'll be saved. And then finally, Jesus shares his motives with them. So he says his incentives. This is why I came. I came that you may have life and that you might have it to the full. 
Okay? So, let's begin with the introduction. Jesus identifies himself as the door. Okay, this is verse 7 of chapter 10. So Jesus again says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep, they did not listen. And so we see Jesus identifies himself as the door of the sheepfold. By identifying as the door, he identifies the Pharisees as thieves and robbers. We looked at this last week, okay? Verse 1, he says, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, he's a thief and a robber. We learned that last week. When I'm the door, and you Pharisees, instead of pointing the sheep to me, the sheep of Israel, that's the people of Israel, instead of ushering them towards me, the door, that they may come into the sheepfold and be safe, you turn them away from me. You false shepherds, you evil shepherds, you turn them away from the entrance into the sheepfold that they might find safe pasture. I'm the door. So if I'm identifying myself as the door, that means you Pharisees that I'm talking to, you, you seem to be the shepherds that claim to know God better than anybody else. You're the thieves and the rubbish. So Jesus says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Here he could be talking about the Old Testament prophets, but he isn't. He isn't talking about them because Jesus says, the Old Testament prophets point to me. Through John chapter 5 in our Bible studies, and Jesus said about Moses, he said, if you, if you listen to Moses, if you claim to be a disciple of Moses, then you would follow me because Moses writes about me. So all the Old Testament prophets, they point to Jesus. So they're not the thieves and the robbers. The thieves and the robbers are the Pharisees. And the thieves and the robbers are the false messiahs, and of which there were many around this time. There were many people, right, that came in their own name. Many that came to be the Messiah. Claiming to be the ones that are going to free the Israelites. I'm going to save us from, this Roman, from these Roman tyrants. I'm the Messiah. They came in their own name. They didn't seek the glory of God. They're all thieves and robbers, he says. They're all frauds. The sheep didn't listen to them. He just throws that in. The sheep didn't listen to them. Didn't listen to the false ones. A great story this week of a Scottish shepherd. He had this friend and his, friend's, his friend comes to him and he says, I want to run an experiment with you. I want you to give me your clothes. I want to put on your clothes. I'm going to dress you and I'm going to go out into the field and I'm going to try and call your sheep. So he puts on the clothes. He looks up. He smells the part because this shepherd's clothes are stinky. They sweat of hard work of then droppings. Yeah. So he puts it. He looks the part. He smells the part. He goes out into the field and he calls sheep. One, two. Lovely. Right. So they don't know what he's talking about. But he's talking about what he's going to do for them on the cross. Because later on in verse 10, uh, in verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. And he says, I laid down my life for the sheep. Now, again, they don't know. They know that shepherds would risk their lives for the sheep. But they, they, they don't know that what he's talking about is his future death on the cross. But we know now. 
And he says, if anybody would enter by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out. And he will find pasture. Saved from what? Saved from death. Saved from the punishment of our sins. It says in Romans 5 that we're saved from the wrath of God. I'm going to read that for you now. This is Romans 5 and it's verses 9 to 11. Jesus says, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We're saved from the wrath of God because of our sins. The reality is, brothers and sisters, the death that Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place. And as he hung on the cross, he received the outpouring of the full wrath of God. God poured out his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, for our sins, that we might be forgiven. He so loved us. It says, whilst we were enemies. So if he can do that whilst we were enemies, then he can reconcile us to us through his son. How much does he love us? His precious only begotten son. So we're saved. We're saved from God's wrath. And we're saved into eternal life. Are we not? And so when Jesus says, I'm the door, enter through me, what he's saying is, I'm the way that you get reconciled with God. You, the word reconcile, what it means, it means that uh, you're, you're, you're made at peace with that person. Peace is made, you're reconciled, you're not enemies anymore. You're not at war with one another. We're described in our trespasses and sins as being enemies of God. We've rejected him in our sins. We don't want him. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, he made peace with us. And so Jesus says that through my death and through my resurrection, you will have the forgiveness of your sins. You'll have the forgiveness of your sins. You'll be reconciled to God and you will have life. You will have eternal life. So we are saved. And not only will you be saved, you will go in and out. And you'll find pasture. Jesus says, I'll protect you. As you come into the fold, I'll protect you from death, one of our great enemies. And I'll protect you from the evil one. But he says, not only will I save you, but you will go in and out and you will find pasture. I will provide for your every need. Do you know this morning that all of our needs are met in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4 verse 19. The Apostle Paul says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. According to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus, he will provide for our needs. They will go in and out and they will find pasture. This picture here that Jesus has set up before them is a picture of freedom. He's talking to the Pharisees, right? 
The, 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 the Pharisees would put heavy burdens on the people of Israel. The people who condemned them. Well, this picture of coming in and out and finding pasture, it's, it's a picture of freedom that says no longer will the sheep be afraid of condemnation. No longer will they be weighed down with the burden of legalism. Trusting, uh, tr trusting so much in their safety in the shepherd that they don't fear any dangers anymore. We don't fear anymore because of who our shepherd is. And the other point I want to draw out from here in verse 8 is this. There is but one door. There is but one door. Jesus says, I am the door. In Acts chapter 4, uh, the apostle Peter, he's being interrogated by a high priest, by some scribes, by some elders. And he says that he was filled with the Spirit. He said this to them. He said, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And he says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. One door, one way, one sacrifice, one redeemer. John 14, 6 to 9. It's another I am statement of Jesus. It says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, he says to his disciples, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him, and I've seen him. Did you hear that? Jesus said, if you had known me, you would know my Father also. He's talking about God. And from now on you do know him, and you've seen him. Jesus apparently didn't say he was God. You speak to people of other religions, Jesus never said once, I am God. That's plain as day to me. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Here's what it says in Colossians, right? In Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The great I am. I and the Father are one. If you reject me, you reject God. If you love me, you love God. It's only through me that you can be saved. It's only by my death on the cross that one can be forgiven of their sins. And guess what? I've done it. It's done. It's finished. We know that now. We have that. Whereas the Pharisees didn't have that. But they didn't believe. So Jesus, he identifies himself. He introduces himself as the door. And then there's this great invitation. All who will come through me will be saved. And then finally, here's the incentive. This is Jesus' why. This is why he came. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Or in other translations, have it to the full. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is the Pharisees. They come only to steal you of your joy, to steal you of me, your only way into salvation. But they do that because of who their father is. 
I'm going to read John 8 for you here. This is what Jesus says to the Pharisees. Listen to these words carefully. Verse, 30, um, verse 44 of John chapter 8. Jesus says to the Pharisees, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of all lies. That is Satan. He's been a murderer from the start. He is the father of all lies. He hates God and he hates us. Do you know that Satan hates you? Do you know that? The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. There's only one place Satan is going. We read about it in Revelation. In the end, God will cast him into the fiery lake. The lake of fire and sulfur. He will punish you. He will do it. And you know, Satan hates you so much, he wants to take you there with him. So when you're presented with a temptation, when you're presented with that juicy fruit, we go back to the Garden of Eden, it looks good to eat. And for that momentary bite, ooh, that was juicy. His intention is to kill you. His intention is to destroy you. He hates you and he hates God. We need to hold on to that. You know, when we're faced with temptation, we're all faced with temptation every day. He, 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 in the Garden of Eden, the serpent, he, he, he questions God's character to Adam and Eve. He says that he doesn't want you to have the fruit because he doesn't want you to be equal with him. He's withholding it from you. Here, have it. It's good to eat. And when you have it, oh, it'll be so good. You'll have the knowledge of good and evil. You'll be equal with God. It'll be great. And what happens? They're destroyed. They're sentenced to death. Satan hates you so much, he will present the temptation to you. It will look good to eat. It will be shiny. But he hates you. And he hates God. But Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus in contrast, what does he say? I came that you may have life. And that you may have it abundantly. Do you question whether God is good sometimes. I, when life gets hard, we've all been there, I think. But he's good. He loves you. He loves you so much. I was handed a sweet once, um, and it was a jelly bean. It looked really good to eat, really sweet, nice. Juicy colour as well. You know, jelly beans get different colour. Why up my street, this one? Put it in my mouth, ate it. Tastes like vomit. Have any of you had one of them vomit jelly beans? That's what Satan's like. Have this juicy jelly bean. It looks good to eat. He hates you. My brother doesn't hate me, but he's done me over there. But Jesus says, I come that you may have life and you may have it to the full. An abundant life. Do you know what abundance is? It's surplus. 
is overflowing. I'll give you an abundant life. Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's our Lord. That's the abundance that he's speaking of. Now, he's not talking about material wealth. This isn't the, the, the prosperity gospel. It's, it's, a, it's a lie. It's a dirty lie. Again, that's one of Satan's lies. When he talks about the abundant life, he's not talking about having all the money in the world and all the cars and all the this and all the that. Because those of us that have the mind of Christ, we don't want that. When, when in Philippians 2, we read it earlier. Paul read it earlier. To have a mind of Christ, he became obedient even to death on the cross. He emptied himself. He did not count equality with God as something to be held on to. This isn't the prosperity gospel here. We're talking about soul provision. Everything you need. And the Apostle Paul, he spoke about it. He said, I know what it's like now. I know what it's like to, to have need. And he says, I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. You know, the Apostle Paul's great treasure, it was Jesus Christ. He counted all things as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. If you know Jesus, you've got everything. This world's going to pass away with his troubles and his trials and his temptations and his grief. It's but a whisper. It's but a vapor. Don't take it from me. I'm 30 years old. Take it from the, the everlasting God in the Bible. It's but a whisper. And the treasure we have in heaven, it will never erode. It will never decay. It's ours. It's secured in Jesus Christ. So do not trade it all. Do not trade it in for instant gratification at the expense of knowing Jesus personally. Jesus is our greatest treasure. Everything else is rubbish compared to knowing him. I want to speak into this uh, abundant life by telling you a story of a woman that I met and she was trafficked. She, uh, she was kidnapped and she was trafficked. She was put into this container do you know what a shipping container? She was put in one of those with a bunch of other women. She was just taken. She didn't know where she was going. She was in complete darkness. All she had was her Lord. And she said what she did when she was in the container with these bunch of women being taken to God knows where, she just started singing to her Lord. And the others in the container started singing to her Lord. And her soul was encouraged. And she knew that no matter what, no matter what she was going through, her Lord was with her. And, and, and this is the abundant life we're speaking about here. The apostles, when they were in prison, again, they, they told of how they would sing praises to the Lord. They would count it all joy that they were being persecuted in the name of Jesus. Because they had Jesus. You can't take Jesus away from us. You can't take Jesus away from me. So what you got? You can't separate us from the love of Christ. Romans 8, 
nothing, no power, no dominion. He's got you. Jesus has got you. And so we can be like that woman. I'm going to end with a quick story um, that Charles Spurgeon told. It's a story of a goldfish in the River Thames. The goldfish was swimming along the River Thames. Uh, and as he was taken in water, the fish started to worry. He's worried, if I keep taking in too much water, this river's going to dry up. That's us when we think we can exhaust the abundance of God. That's the, you can't. You can't, little goldfish. He loves you. His grace is sufficient for you. And so, when in Philippians he talks about God supplying for your every need according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus, do you think your God lacks some, anything? Do you think our God lacks? He doesn't lack. There is nothing he can't give us that you need. So don't worry. Don't worry to think that he cannot provide for you in whatever situation you're going through. These are not my words. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He came that you may have life and that you will have it abundantly. And check this out. It's a promise. It's a promise. Jesus says... In verse 8, uh, in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. If you come through Jesus, he'll provide for you. Are your sins many this morning? The grace of God is greater. Is your flesh weak? Greater is he that lives in you. Do you worry much? The peace of God surpasses all understanding. Are you weary with sorrow? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Is your heart broken? The love of God has no end. So let's be like the man who was born blind. Let's respond in worship. Let's rejoice because of what our Lord has done for us in reconciling us to God, in giving us all that we need. And we know, we have a sure hope that we will live for eternity with him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except you. What you did on the cross, Lord, you are the only one that can bring us into communion with God. You are the only one through whom we can receive forgiveness of sins. Lord, thank you that you are our everything, that we lack nothing in you. And Lord, I pray that as we all leave here this morning, we will go in the knowledge that you came to give us life abundantly and that we would walk in that light, that we would flee from sin, that we would know that Satan hates us and we will not listen to that voice, but as your sheep, we will listen to your voice. We will be obedient, trusting, Lord, that your purposes for us are good. I pray for every single one of us in this room, wherever we are, whatever we struggle with, Lord, your love is enough for us. 
Thank you so much. We praise you. Amen.